the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to the show, friends and neighbors. My favorite letter of the English alphabet is Z, and my name is Ben. Uh, my name is Noel, and I uh, my favorite song is the ABC song. And uh, for the purposes of today's episode, it goes like this. A, B, D, E, F, G, H, I, K, L, M, N, O, P, R, S, T, U, V, Z, A, H, N, H, I don't know how to pronounce these characters. Mm-hmm. Speaking of characters. Right, Ben Franklin. Oh, boy. And also, Noel, you laughed at me uh, when we were hanging out yesterday, and I tried singing that song with this. Uh, folks, you may notice that in the rendition of the alphabet song you just heard, there were some prominent letters missing, and it turns out that's not an accident. This was on purpose. You see, there was a fellow, a founding father uh, named Benjamin Franklin, who did many, many things, right? He was a renaissance man. Of he sorts. was a polymath of sorts, uh, a genius. Most people consider him um, an elder statesman and, as you say, a founding father, but also an inventor, a scientist, a postmaster uh, and a diplomat. And he just kind of did all the things. Mm -hmm. And today he is um, sort of an American legend. And there are a lot of stories about the guy that turn out later not to be entirely true, you know. But it is true that he was a prolific Renaissance man. As an inventor, he created things like bifocals. He created the lightning rod. He created uh, some (laughs) swimming flipper sets for hands, uh, flexible catheters. Which is weird that there was a time when there were inflexible catheters. Ouch. I know. And the odometer. 
But one of the things that people might not know about Benjamin Franklin is that in addition to inventing things, he also improved a lot of things or attempted to. And one of the things that he attempted to improve was the English language itself. Yeah, and it's like, you know, we, we all know that odometers are around still. Swimming flippers are around still. Bifocals, no one's really made them much better than, than, than old Ben Franklin. But, you know, we don't really hear much about a, uh, a redone uh, English alphabet that that sticks around to this day. And that's because it was a bit of a flop. But before we get into <laughs> its uh, ridiculous, abysmal failure, let's talk a little bit about what this thing was, Ben. Absolutely. Noel, do you recall Hooked on Phonics? Were you a Hooked on Phonics kid? It worked for me. There we go. Yeah. Uh, Hooked on Phonics was this program in the U.S., at least in the U.S., possibly in other places, uh, that taught children how to pronounce letters and uh, combinations of letters in English based on sounding them out. It worked so well for me, though, that I ended up in phonics rehab. Oh, yeah, you had to. I had a problem. I had a real phonics problem, <laughs> monkey on my back. But I'm cool now. Yeah, yeah. I don't pronounce anything correctly. <laughs> it's one day at a time, right? So Ben Franklin invented a phonetic alphabet. He did successfully invent this. He hoped that other people would be fans of the invention and that this alphabet would ultimately replace the alphabet we use today. And he started by removing letters. Yeah, he did. Um, Franklin's alphabet basically axed six letters, and those were C, J, Q, W, X, and Y. You'll notice they were missing from my little alphabet ditty at the beginning of the show um, because he thought they were redundant, right? He argued that, for example, the letter K could handle uh, the hard C sound, so no need for C. We can use a K for that. And then the letter S could give uh, a soft C sound, so C was gone. Um, and then he also added six more characters, uh, which for, for my money were, are unpronounceable when you see them. They look like something out of the Necronomicon. Um, but they were pretty functional um, from Franklin's perspective. There were basically two vowels and four new consonants. And his idea was to add clarity in pronunciation and his characters were specifically based around sounds. So, for example, he had a new consonant uh, that made the NG sound um, at the end of like running or, or, re or reaping or seeking. Right. Yeah, you can see you can see the gist here, the simplification or at least the well-intentioned steps toward simplification Franklin worked on this for a long time. He f initially developed the alphabet in 1768, but he didn't start publishing it or, or floating it around until a little more than 10 years later in 1779. Um, he also published some letters that he had written in this language. And in 1789, Noah Webster who had heard of Franklin's proposal, included a description of it in his book, Dissertations on the English Language. However, there was a problem. Webster, you see, did not have the correct type blocks because at the time uh, they had to use blocks, hand-cut blocks for printing presses, and he couldn't really describe the alphabet. Webster couldn't because he didn't have those special six characters cut out in a block. So he couldn't really illustrate Franklin's changes and the alphabet itself 
really didn't, you know, people didn't get it or see it in action until Franklin had new blocks cast to print the alphabet uh, for his 1779 collection called Political Miscellaneous and Philosophical Pieces. It's interesting, too, because Webster was one of the very, very few uh, supporters of this new alphabet because um, he was all about um, standardizing American Spelling. And this was a big thing for Franklin, too. He argued that his alphabet would help people spell better, would, would reduce spelling errors. Um, and it's interesting. There are a few letters that Franklin exchanged with his friend and confidant, Polly Stevenson, who was the daughter of his landlady in London. And uh, you know, he gave her away at her wedding and was a very important person in his life. And she had some interesting objections to um, this new alphabet. And here um, Franklin responds to a few of them. Um, I'll give you a quote from this letter here. The objection you make to rectifying our alphabet, that it will be attended with inconveniences and difficulties, is a natural one, for it always occurs when any reformation is proposed, whether in religion, government, laws, and even down as low as roads and wheel carriages. The true question, then, is not whether there will be no difficulties or inconveniences, but whether the conveniences will not, on the whole, be greater than the inconveniences. So, you know, the whole make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs argument, right? Right. It's asking people a lot to change the way that they speak and write. Because if you've ever looked into um, an encyclopedia entry and you've seen the pronunciation guide, you know, where they have the strange characters mm-hmm. that tell you this is a glottal sound. Right. This is an eh. The schwa? Yeah, yeah. The uh, unstressed central vowel. The old upside down E. Mm-hmm. And the international phonetic alphabet. When When you see that, you can, if you're not familiar with pronunciation guides, then you can kind of get a sense of how someone would feel reading a letter in Ben Franklin English uh, versus, you know, English English. Totally. And when you read some of these excerpts that he wrote in this um, alphabet, you, you, your brain kind of has to kind of like do a some gymnastics to even parse that file. And once it does... It, it does kind of click for you. It's really mm-hmm. interesting the way you can make that leap. But um another uh, interesting criticism from Franklin's friend, Polly Stevenson, was the idea that changing the language would obscure etymology of words and their meaning. Uh, and Franklin could not disagree more. His response was this. Um, etymologies are at present very uncertain, but such as they are, the old books would still preserve them, an etymologist would there find them. Words in the course of time change their meaning as well as their spelling and pronunciation, and we do not look to etymology for their present meanings. Um, so he really had a deep philosophical belief that this was the right thing to do. And it's interesting because, you know, we talked about at the top of the show what a Renaissance man Franklin was and all the things he invented. But uh, one of his biographers kind of referred to this whole exercise as taking Franklin's passion for social improvement to radical extremes. Right. And one of the reasons that he did find some prominent supporters is because there was an ideological and political aspect to the generation of this language or the revision of the language from across the Atlantic. 
In his piece in 1789, uh, Noah Webster argues the following. Several circumstances render a future separation of the American tongue from the English necessary and unavoidable. I'm doing a Webster voice. Numerous local causes, such as a new country, new associations of people, new combinations of ideas in arts and science, and some intercourse with tribes wholly unknown in Europe, will introduce new words to the American tongue. Mm. So he was arguing that Ben Franklin's concept was timely and prescient and that American English would need to have the opportunity to become its own thing. And we do see, we do see different versions of the English language dividing, you know, at least in terms of slang or figures of speech. But this idea was radical. This, this idea was paving the way for a written version of American English to be unintelligible to another English speaker. Yeah, a hundred percent. And to Franklin, language, um, was speech before writing. And then in a lot of ways, writing was sort of an inconvenient byproduct of language. It was just like a thing you had to do to preserve stories and uh, data and such. But it was ultimately a byproduct and not the first and foremost uh, concern to Franklin, at least, right? Um, another quote from one of these letters to Polly Stevenson addressed her third objection, which was that all books already written would become useless, and, you know, to that, and I agree with this, Franklin responds, this inconvenience would only come on gradually in a course of ages. Um, you and other now living readers would hardly forget the use of them. People would long learn to read the old writings, though they practice the new. And the inconvenience is not greater than what has actually happened in a similar case in Italy. And you know this, Ben, formerly uh, Italian spoke and wrote in Latin. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that they burned all the books that were in Latin. <laughs> They're still even today around here. People that speak Latin and that do translations and translations becomes a very important thing because, you know, you have to know the original language and the context and be able to translate the nuances of it. Um, so, you know, I mean, to say that to reinvent a language is inherently bad, I think, is false. Agreed, especially if it is a living language. A living language is defined as a language that has living native speakers. And, you know, we we know that there are dead languages in the world, unfortunately, throughout history. And we can see the written evidence of these languages and we can hear them referenced, read them referenced in other works of the same rough historical era. But we don't know for sure how these sounded. Languages change over time. One of my favorite things about American English is that anything can be a verb. Anything can be a verb. You just uh, you just name something and then add ing, and now it's a verb. Balling. Let's see, walling. You know, Ben Bolining. Noel Browning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Noel Browning. Noel Brown to the Browning. Yeah, I think I, I think I added an extra syllable there, but you know what? We're going to keep it. And as ambitious as it might sound, you and I were talking off air about the kind of chutzpah someone would have to have to... See, there you go. Yeah. Because I would say chutzpah. (laughs) Living language, my friend. 
happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. So uh, how irritated does someone have to be by what is essentially a tomato-tomato argument uh, to say, I am going to change the entire language. Everyone who's already speaking this needs to conform to my expectations of what language would be. There's a really interesting thing that happens at some point when most people are learning the basics of a new language there will typically be a moment where they say, well, why do you do it that way? That's dumb. Why, why, does, um, why does every noun have to have a gender attached to it mm-hmm. or something like that? Sure. And the answer is because that's the language. That's the way this language works. Exactly. And it can feel, it can feel kind of, um, I don't know if it's condescending or if it's self-centered for someone learning the language to tell everybody else already speaking it that they're doing it wrong and they should change for one person. Well, I think it's interesting, too, that one of Franklin's big concerns in doing this alphabet was to eliminate spelling errors, which I find utterly pedantic, you know, and absurd. (laughs) Because, again, it's like, you know, if you're a purist, okay, uh, that's fine. If if, if you're a stickler for the spelling, I get that. But ultimately... You know what someone's saying. If the communication is successful, 
isn't yeah. as successful isn't, isn't that what matters the most and in fact um you know webster actually persisted in published books as you said using um a sort of adapted orthography that was a con- i believe it was not exactly franklin's but he sort of used that as a jumping off point mm-hmm. and developed something of his own and he was ridiculed by critics and, and this this uh new language was c- called unsightly um and mm-hmm. and corrupting like a, a bastardization of the uh, the proper English language, and that's you know that's another question, right? At what point is it evolution, and at what point is it devolution? You know, at what point are they diluting or ruining a language versus improving? Because one alphabet entrepreneur's improvement is another alphabet entrepreneur's you know downfall. They see it as the ruination of language. And Noah Webster did succeed in creating an American spelling, but he did uh, also eventually walk away from alphabet reform, which he saw as a bit too radical. And it turns out he was absolutely on the money about the importance of political identity or, exactly. You know, and, totally. and language. And we see this happening in other countries as well. There was a cool article in the Atlantic Monthly magazine uh, in 1997 that talked about how alphabet shifts became common in times of instability. In former Soviet republics, for instance, alphabet shifts became so common that people started calling the phenomenon new alphabet disease. So, you know, uh, Azerbaijan is probably the most famous example. They've changed their alphabet three times. The whole thing. That's insane. In the last hundred years. How could you keep up? Well, okay, a hundred years, I guess you got time to, to, to learn it. But even still, that seems very extreme because like you said, it's so tied to national identity, which I think is probably the main reason that this, this exercise, uh, from Mr. Franklin just totally fell flat. And he, you know, I'm getting this sense, Noel, that he was very much uh, a spaghetti at the wall kind of guy. Absolutely. With he all had the a, stuff he came up yeah, with. He had idea. He just went for it. Did you know that he even suggested that the eagle was not an appropriate icon for America and that it should instead be the turkey? Yes. Yeah. The turkey, which uh, I think he said was a proud bird. Exactly. <laughs> He, he said it was a uh, that the eagle was a bird of bad moral character. So you know, I mean, Franklin was also a bit of a troll, which I love. Uh, yes. You know, but it's like this whole alphabet thing. It, w- when you look at it from an academic perspective and from the mind of a brilliant thinker like Ben Franklin, you could see how maybe he would think this was a good idea. But in practice, it's just too much of a pain in the ass. Right. Right. It is. The people are very sensitive about language, especially because we use it so often, even if uh, there were higher rates of illiteracy, as there were in this time, people are still speaking, right? So we're consistently using the rules of language, even if we're not using the, the written aspects of it. And that's why this becomes important. Um, for Azerbaijan, just to like walk through it real quick, what had happened was it went from Arabic to Latin, then from Latin to Cyrillic. Uh, this was Arabic to Latin 1920s, Latin to Cyrillic in the 1930s, and then from Cyrillic to Latin again most recently. And they're not alone. Uh, former North Korean leader or DPRK leader Kim Jong-il was lauded for uh, his, quote, immortal feats for unified development of national language. 
fearless leader. Yeah, he also rewrote the alphabet, they say. Sounds about right. What are you going to do? What else are you going to do when you're at the top? Are you trying to get a gift for that dictator in your life who already has everything? Get him an alphabet. Yeah, well, you know, he's just trying out different haircuts and inventing new alphabets. That's what you do. And people had tried phonetic languages before in the past. There was a guy we found named William Bullocar, a 16th century printer who created, get this, a 40-letter phonetic alphabet. That seems like too many letters. That's a lot of letters. It what seems was, like a lot of letters. What, 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 were the, what was the function? Uh, the, the function was, you know how Franklin added those six new characters mm-hmm. to indicate some groups of sounds? Right. This guy was doing some of the same stuff. There's been a spate of this over time. People are constantly trying to come up with their own version of the alphabet, it seems. And it, it's kind of treated like cryptocurrency. Totally. Might, might be a fad here today, gone tomorrow. Uh, but it, typically what we see in the past is that when people try to construct these phonetic languages, they do the same thing Ben Franklin was doing. They, you know, they'll have one letter that means I-N-G. Right. At least Ben Franklin was trying to simplify, a bit subtracting rather than <laughs> adding, you know, 20, 25 letters. 40 letters. That's insane. <laughs> Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. 
Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. You know, though, Ben, mm-hmm. uh, this is still happening today, albeit in, in something of a, a fictional realm. Have you heard of Arabesh? Is it a language from space? Why, yes, Ben. As a matter of fact, it is from a galaxy far, far away. In fact, um, it first appeared on, like, uh, computer readouts or spaceship readouts in Return of the Jedi, um, which is part of the original Star Wars trilogy. And it was in the Death Star, actually, um, and one of Darth Vader's shuttles. This is all according to Wikipedia, which is a thing. That I love. Um, and then in the 90s, a guy named Stephen Crane kind of transcribed this alphabet for use in a, a Star Wars miniature role-playing game called Star Wars Miniatures Battle Companion. And it was uh, given the blessing of Lucasfilm. And now you can get it in font sets. It's a 34-letter alphabet. Um, and it actually was expanded to have punctuation marks in an update to the role-playing game that like a supplement that came out uh, a few years later in 1996. So, you know, even though Ben Franklin's uh, thing didn't stick around, at least it uh, perseveres in uh, nerd culture. Absolutely. And before you send the email, yes, we are very aware that Tolkien himself was creating languages. A lot of times you'll hear, uh, certain members of our uh, cohort here at House of Works refer to Tolkien as a linguist who made up a story to rationalize the languages he was inventing. Is that what was used in the Peter Jackson film when you see the uh, etchings on the One Ring, mm-hmm. Elvish yeah. or whatever? Is uh, that? Yeah, I think that's the language of Mordor. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Yep. And uh, and yeah, the Elvish that they speak was developed as an actual language. Look at and, and people are speaking Klingon. People are doing marriage officiations in Klingon, man. It's a brave new world, my friend. And apparently George Bernard Shaw, famous playwright, had a huge issue with the English language. Uh, so much so that he one time I, – I don't entirely get this. I want to see what you think of this. One time he said that the word fish may as well be written as G-H-O-T-I. The G-H is from laugh – the O from woman or women, and the T-I from nation. So he's saying the way they fit together phonetically doesn't make sense. It's stupid. Yeah, Yeah. it's great. He he said the alphabet was hopelessly inadequate, and when he died, he left money in his will to develop a new one. One last, like, shot from the dark. Uh, I bet he and Franklin and Webster would have been buddies. I bet they would have in principle, but then they probably would have started arguing. Mine's better. Yeah, exactly. Uh, The George Bernard Shaw competition – uh, attracted 467 entries, and the winner was a guy named Kingsley Reed, who had a phonetically accurate alphabet of 48 letters, 24 vowels, and 24 consonants. According to the clause in Shaw's will, this alphabet had to be used alongside the traditional alphabet in the new posthumous publication of his play, and 53,000 copies of Androcles and the Lion were printed, and one copy was given to each public library in Britain, the Commonwealth, and North and South America, and to all the national libraries of the world. So this book is out there, and you can find that uh, award-winning alphabet, phonetic alphabet. It's called, of course, Goaty Fingers. 
goaty fingers. Yeah, I know. It sounds like something delicious from a takeout menu. I but goats had hooves. Yes, but these are not uh, goats exactly. These are goaty. Oh, I see. I see. So what what are some other like invented languages? I know it seems like we just have so much that we I feel like we're cutting it short, but I, I want to let you fly, Ben. Oh, man. OK. Yes. Uh, thank you for setting me up there, Noel. Just briefly, we have to mention Esperanto, which is one of the world's most popular constructed auxiliary languages. It was designed not to be necessarily a first language, but a common tongue that anybody could speak. And it has like 2 million speakers worldwide. And a William Shatner starring movie, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes, his shining moment in the 1966 film Incubus, which uh, my friends who speak Esperanto tell me is hilarious due to pronunciation. Sorry, Mr. Shatner. Beautiful, right? Speaking of Renaissance men. <laughs> yes, exactly. Mr. Shatner. And, uh, of course, Ben Franklin is probably going to be a recurring character in the story of ridiculous history because he got up to some really weird stuff. He was a kinkster. Yes, yes, he was a kinkster. Uh, he was a fan of air baths. People found skeletons. I'm sorry, air baths? Yeah. Is that like Airbnb? <laughs> it could be in an Airbnb. Okay. It's, uh, it's you know, it's uh, reclining in the buff, bathing in the air. He's hanging out naked. Oh, okay. Why not just call it streaking? It was a different time. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> but, uh, he also made improvements to something called the glass harmonica, which sounds super spooky. Uh, and uh, skeletons were found under one of his old uh, abodes. Not in his closet, though. No, no, no. Not in his closet. He was legit. He was legit. If anything, there were probably medical experiments. But that's a story you and I will have to research for another day. In the meantime, we'd like to hear from you. If you're listening to this, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you probably write stuff in English. What improvements would you make to the English language? And hey, if you happen to have invented your own uh, improved English alphabet, write us something in that. Send oh, us man. your uh, phonetic musings to ridiculous at howstuffworks.com or drop us a note on Facebook where we're also Ridiculous History and we're also on Instagram as Ridiculous History. Um, I, I've, I've driven this Pinterest joke into the ground, so I'm not even going <laughs> to say it. All I'm going to say is we're, we will never have a Pinterest. We will never have a Pinterest. Well, let's put a pin in it. I'm not a hard no yet. I don't pin. <laughs> well, as uh, as Noel and I resolve this, uh, we bid you adieu and hope you will tune in again very soon for more Ridiculous History. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. 
Visit TomboyX.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.